We're going to be in Genesis tonight, from Genesis to Revelation, kind of we've gone today, that's okay. Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to be looking, uh, continuing on in our study of Jacob, uh, from Jacob to Israel, and uh, tonight we're in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 1, a message I call family time, family time. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic or coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. It is indeed a, a long, long road with many a winding turn uh, that leads us to who knows where. Uh, who really knows where? Uh, jo Jacob is uh, entering another phase of his long journey, his life journey. And uh, we have seen him uh, growing up uh, with his brother Esau and all the rivalry that was there. We have watched then as he uh, managed to contrive to obtain both the birthright and the blessing uh, from his father, and he too was hated by his brother Esau as a result of all these things. Uh, we saw him going off to Uncle Laban and then returning and going back to Bethel, the house of God. We saw him getting right with God, how God appeared to Jacob, how he affirmed his promises to him. We remember that all-night wrestling match when God changed his name and he walked away with the limp, uh, but he walked away with the power of God on his life. Uh, what an incredible story. Now the Bible is introducing us to what will be the last phase of Jacob's life, Israel's life. And it is introduced with the story in verse 2. Uh, this is the history of Jacob. The very next word is Joseph. Joseph. And thus the scripture uh, is telling us that the last part of Jacob's story is going to be told uh, in a way that is intertwined with the story of his son Joseph. So that you can't tell Jacob's story without telling Joseph's story. And really you can't tell Joseph's story without telling Jacob's story and acknowledging that this is a part of Jacob's story. And there's a couple of reasons why this is true. First of all, remember that God has changed Jacob to Israel. And really that's the essence of our uh, message, how God changes a Jacob into an Israel. Uh, but by changing him uh, into Israel, he's going to change his family into a nation. And that's the story that we're going to see play out very quickly as we go along on into Exodus and, and the rest of, uh, of the Pentateuch. We will see a family become a nation. 
and that nation will carry the name that God gave to Jacob. It is the nation of Israel. It is the children of Israel. And that's not uh, a, a small thing. Uh, we might see a nation uh, that carries uh, uh, one of your names, you know, and, and, and that could uh, uh, easily be uh, uh, but around. And, you know, Brother Heil, you're a good sport. How, we'll call it Heilville, okay, or, or, or Heil World, or Hamlin World, or, or, or Smith World, or, you know, imagine uh, we've turned a nation, a family, into a nation, and that nation then uh, is, is, is the product of that family. I mean, that, that's no small feat, but that is exactly uh, what God is going to establish. So that's one of the reasons why that the story of Jacob is going to be continued in the story of his family, uh, because this is all about Israel, how to get to an Israel, and his Israel, this Israel is his family. Uh, notice Genesis chapter 48 and verse 5, and now your two sons, and this is at the end. This is Jacob talking, and he's talking to Joseph, and a, a lot of water's gone into the bridge uh, at this point. But I want you to see what he says to Joseph uh, near the end of his life, Genesis 48. Now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Your two boys, Jacob says, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. And they will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Now I'll save the details of all that for a later message, but for now, uh, notice that Jacob ends up basically adopting Joseph's two boys as his own. Uh, the sons of Jacob then became the twelve tribes of Israel, but there is no tribe of Joseph. It wasn't a tribe of Joseph. There was a tribe of Ephraim and a tribe of Manasseh, so that Joseph's sons would actually be counted as Jacob's son, and Joseph then, in essence, would get the double blessing, two tribes, not just one. That's how intertwined the story of Jacob and Joseph is. There are times in our world today even when the story of a person's life becomes the story of their children's life. Uh, sometimes that's in a bad way, as uh, maybe a child makes a bad decision and, and then the grandparents end up uh, raising their grandchildren. And the story then of their life as it plays out is really the story of what their kids did or didn't do and now what they're doing. And their whole life then is dominated uh, by a story uh, that relates to their children. That happens, but it, 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 it's also not always a, a bad thing. In a way, it's just kind of a natural thing. A part of your life story and a part of my life story is our children's story. And, and that's kind of a natural way of this to play out. But in this case, it was very much going to be put together in Scripture. So when we consider this last section of Jacob's story, it's going to be told primarily uh, through the story of Joseph. So 
That's where we go in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3. We'll see the family, and uh, it's an interesting scene that plays out. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son of old of his old age. He was his baby boy. Uh, how many of you tonight besides me were babies in your family? Uh, uh, some of you were the only child. I understand. I know that. You were the, you were the youngest and the oldest. Uh, there were three of us. Uh, my brother was first, my sister in the middle, and uh, so two boys and a girl. And every time I talk to my sister on the phone, I always say the same thing. How's my favorite sister today? You know? uh, or uh, how's my prettiest sister, my smartest sister? You know? and, uh, whatever epithet I might have to do. Of course, I can do the same thing with my brother, but I seldom do. Uh, but uh, my sister is indeed my favorite sister. I was the baby. Uh, there was no question in my mind that my mother loved me better than she did the rest of them. <laughs> it was, of course, <laughs> of course she loved me more than she did that. Uh, that was not the truth, but, um, you know, we have kidded along that way. Being the baby of the family does have a certain uh, tendency to create a little bit of favoritism. In their case, though, there was absolutely no question about it. Uh, remember that Jacob had met and fallen in love with Rachel, and he worked seven years in order to obtain her as his wife. Uh, but when they married, of course, he was deceived into marrying Leah, and he never loved Leah the way that he loved Rachel. Uh, Rachel then was withheld from having children, and finally she did, and her firstborn child was Joseph. And so he quickly became the apple of his father's eye. In our text, he's described as being 17 years old, just a lad, 17. And as the baby of the family and the favored son, uh, he was elevated to an extraordinary position. He was made kind of the manager, the overseer of the family's business. You realize, of course, though, that was a position that should have gone to the firstborn not to the baby of the family. So the very idea that, that J, uh, Jacob now has turned this upside down and put Joseph, his youngest son, as the manager, low overseer, leader of the family, gave to him this coat uh, that was much more than valuable. It was an em emblem of his position. And... Uh, it may have very well been, and some Bible scholars have speculated that Jacob, in his position as both a patriarch and a prophet, had received a message from the Lord about Joseph's position in the family. That is very, very possible uh, because he was indeed in tune with the Lord, and he did receive messages from God. God, after all, spoke to him. We've already seen that as we played out this uh, message and gone through it. And it's perhaps then, if Jacob did get that kind of message from the Lord, that maybe he decided then that it was up to him to see that that happened. Uh, whatever, though, the plans that God had were for, for Joseph, it was God's business to see to it that those plans were taken care of. And that's an important lesson for us to learn. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. How many of you have ever had a mess, made a mess trying to help God do what He's going to do? You ever made a mess that way? I have made a mess a time or two thinking that I had to help God take care of His business. Um, so uh, maybe that's what Jacob was doing. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of commentaries think so. 
nonetheless, what we do see very clearly is that his brothers saw this partiality toward, uh, toward Joseph, and they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Uh, do any of, uh, any of y'all ever had children uh, that could not seem to be nice to one another? or could not seem to speak well of one another, couldn't say a kind word to each other. Uh, well, this went way beyond anything that we have experienced. They hated him, and they could not speak anything nice to him. Now, Jacob had made some choices along the way. Some of them were beyond his doing. He didn't ask to marry Leah, but when he found himself married to her, he was married. He then took Rachel. He ended up then with both of their handmaids. And for, having four wives was never God's plan. For the most part, we don't deal with polygamy in our world today. For the most part. But there are a lot of blended families in the world today. Families where children in the home have different moms and different dads. If you're living in that situation, let's, let's understand. First of all, any household, any family can become a battleground for hatred and hatefulness among siblings if parents are partial to one over the other. But especially in places where there are blended families, you're going to have to work hard to avoid Jacob's bad example. Don't do it like he did. This family was built around the house of God, but even though they were believers and even though they were committed to the house of God and even though they had been to Bethel, it didn't prevent them from experiencing trouble and turmoil in their family. And even though Jacob has been changed from Jacob to Israel, doesn't mean that he's still not going to make some bad choices along the way. It's a long, long road to where we're going with many a winding turn. So the family, that's the first thing the Bible brings to us. Then it brings to us the dreams. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Now, in fact, uh, we know Joseph had two dreams. In one of the dreams, he and his family were binding sheaves together in the field, and the sheaf of wheat that Joseph had bound together stood upright. And then all the other sheaves came and bowed down to him. And then he dreamed that the sun and the moon and eleven stars came down and bowed down to him. Two dreams. That would be heady things for any teenager to experience. And even Jacob had trouble when he heard about those dreams. Verse 10, so he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now Jacob knew enough about the ways of God that he wasn't going to completely dismiss what Joseph had said to him. And that's another indication, I think, that, that Jacob had some idea of what God was going to do in Joseph's life. Now, I can't find a place where Jacob ever came and bowed down before Joseph. Uh, but there is a sense in which Joseph was an Old Testament picture of Christ. And in that sense, 
Uh, Joseph, like all the rest of us, would bow the knee to the one that Joseph represented. This dream of Joseph came to him directly by God's revelation. Joseph had a dream, but more importantly, God gave Joseph this dream. A dream of dominion, a dream of leadership, and a dream of greatness. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that God spoke in various ways to the prophets in time past, and that was one of the ways that he did. He spoke to his people through dreams, and he communicated his message to us through dreams. Let's understand that God speaks to us today through his word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit as he empowers his word. Um, but there is a sense in which we still have a dream where we get a vision. I'm not talking about God is going to reveal to us something. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a dream that relates to our purpose. Uh, to see uh, a, a, a concept, a vision, something that we can do for God. What kind of dreams do you have, young people, today? If you could have your dream, your greatest dream, what would it be? Would it be to play on a professional sports team, perhaps. A lot of young people have a dream like that. Would it be maybe to be a medical professional, a doctor? Would it be to be an actor, an actress? Would it be to, to sing a great song and, and maybe to have a career, uh, even if you can't sing like Taylor Swift? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't say that. I'm sorry. <clears throat> she can sing. She can sometimes. But uh, uh, I mean, do you have a dream uh, of something great? Now, here's the next question. Do we ever dream of doing great things for God? Do we dream of doing great things for God? Parents, you have a dream for your children of what they could accomplish. Do we ever dream that our children will grow up and do great things for God? See, we can, we can think, uh, kind of pigeonhole them. Well, I, I want my kids, you know, to be successful. I want them to have a lot of money. I want them to do these things. Not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Just asking us a question. Do we ever think of dreaming great things for God? At the end of the day, that's what was happening with Joseph. God had some very plain plans for Joseph's life. He's made it clear to him that he is destined for greatness. He shows him what the end of the story is going to be. At least part of the reason why he did that for Joseph, you and I know. Because there were going to be some difficult things for Joseph to go through. And the Bible doesn't take us, make us wait a long time to see us play out. So Joseph has received this coat of many colors in tribute to his favorite position. He's now been made a supervisor. Uh, this young teenager then, we see him in his coat of many colors, highly favored by his father, and a dream of greatness in his heart. God sends him out then, or jo Jacob sends him out to check on his brothers to make sure that they're doing all that they're supposed to be doing. He makes the trip back to all places of Shechem. And it seemed like nothing good ever happened to this family in Shechem. 
I'll not take the time to read all the verses in Genesis chapter 37, but I do want you to look at verse 18. Now, when his brothers saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into a pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dream. We can also notice then tonight that any time a young person gets a dream of greatness, of doing something for God, rest assured that there's going to be opposition. And that's the last thing we see, the opposition, the opposition. Reuben uh, would see the plot that was being hatched out by his brothers, and he would intervene to stop their plot to kill him. Uh, but imagine what it must have been uh, for Joseph to be taken violently by his brothers and thrown down into a pit and for all he knew left to die. It was Reuben who would see to it that he was sold by his brothers into slavery. God, you see, had given him a dream of his destiny, a dream of greatness and leadership. Yet there he goes, drug away in chains to a life of slavery. Then notice what the boys told their dad. You know the story, verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, his coat of many colors. They, they killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their fathers and says, we have found this. Do you know whether it's your son's tunic or not? Isn't that an ironic statement? We found this, Dad. We're not sure who it belongs to. Do you recognize this? What a... Hmm... Well, Jacob recognized it, of course, and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. And without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. You don't have to think back too far to remember another scene involving a brother, his clothes, a lie, and the death of a goat. Story sound familiar? Uh, yeah. Think of how Jacob had lied to his father and deceived him. Now his sons are doing to him what he had done to his father. Think of how Esau hated Jacob, how Jacob had ruthlessly taken advantage of his, of his brother, exploited him in a moment of weakness, took advantage of him. Now, this story then is going to be, at least in part, the story of how God can break a cycle of bad behavior in a family. Ask any police officer. There's several of them in church. Ask them. But you don't have to ask them. because You already know what the answer is going to be. Sometimes you see families that get locked into a cycle of behavior where they end up arresting mom and dad, but then they end up arresting the kids for doing the same thing. Does it happen? Yes, it happens. Can the sins of the fathers duplicate themselves in the lives of their children? Yes, it happens all the time. But the story that we're going to see play out in the story of this family is how that God is able to overcome that and break it. 
and out of that brokenness and out of that mess that was created in this family, God is going to bring this incredible nation, the nation of Israel, an incredible family, the children of Israel, out of that story of brokenness is going to come a great story of victory, and God can do that in your family too. We don't have to live under the power of mistakes passed on from generation to generation. God can overcome it in the accomplishment of His purposes. There's Jacob mourning the death of Joseph. Meantime, what had really happened to him was that the Midianites, verse 36, had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and a captain of the guard. I try to imagine this 17-year-old boy raised as a privileged child, a favored child of his father. I kind of think that he always got the best piece of chicken. I kind of think he always got the choicest piece uh, 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 of any animal, whatever it was. I, you know, he was always sitting at dad's table. He was always first in line for everything. This was the favored son. And now he's on an auction block, stripped, exposed, slave, sold to the highest bidder. We get a picture there of what the devil wants to do to everybody who dreams the great dreams of God. Who dreams of doing things, great things for God. He'd love to take it all away from you. But I want you to see something. That's not the end of the story. We're going to jump ahead a little bit at Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2. He's gone from the favored child of his father sold on the auction block in Egypt, and now he's in Potiphar's house. But the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? God was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. God favored him. God blessed him. And these passages together show us that God does not prevent Satan from working in opposition to his people. But first, even when we're facing opposition, let's notice something. God's still with us. God is still with us. And number two, God's purposes are going to win out. You remember the time when Jesus addressed himself to Simon Peter? And said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, he said, and after you're converted, strengthen the brethren. God didn't keep him from being sifted by the devil. And the devil asked for permission, but he received that permission. You know as I do that what the devil intended in Simon Peter's life was to leave him wrecked. Ruined, wasted, nothing left that God could use. Instead, all Satan got rid of was the chaff.
just the chaff. And everything that was good and useful was left for anybody to see. Only the wheat remained. The chaff was gone. And the wheat remained. Uh, you know what the devil was going to do to Simon Peter? Normally a farmer has to pay somebody good money to do <laughs> Ask a farmer if he has to take his crop down to the grain bin, how much he has to pay him to take away the chaff and just leave the grain left. The devil did for free what other folks would have to pay for. Simon Peter didn't know he had that chaff in his life. He didn't know, but Jesus knew. And while the devil was out to destroy him and ruin him and waste him, all he did was increase his value. It's no wonder then Simon Peter would write to us, the aged old man, looking back at what he had experienced. It was Simon Peter who said, the trial of your faith, being of much more value than of gold that perisheth, when it is tried, its value will be seen. Simon Peter had lived that out. Chances are you have, I have. Joseph is certainly living it out. That proud boy that couldn't wait to tell his brothers, y'all are all going to bow down to me. <laughs> you know a 17-year-old boy is going to, he couldn't wait. Y'all are going to, yeah, uh-huh. But remember when it actually happened, we'll jump ahead how it all plays out. Not going to preach any more of that tonight. I'll be preaching my next two or three weeks sermons for you. But it's a great story. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph. Our story in life, folks, is not only the story that we make with our own hands, and do with our own do. The story of our life is also told through our family and our kids. Make sure we invest in them well. Raise them good. Because their story is going to be a part of our story. Let's stand together, please.